This is an absolutely diabolical decision that needs to be changed. And we need the public to get behind this, to contact their members of parliament, to contact whoever they feel is appropriate in, in getting action. Hello and welcome to the Media Leader podcast. I am the editor of the Media Leader, Omar Oaks. Well, this is our first episode of the Media Leader podcast and we're so pleased that you are here, or there, wherever you are to listen to it right now. So who are we and what is this podcast all about? Well, as the name would suggest, it's about media. The Media Leader is a trade publication for the media and advertising industry. We write, create videos and host live events where we grapple with the big issues affecting commercial media, including the state of advertising, how streaming services are changing the industry, and how technology will continue to disrupt the way we consume and think about what media even is. Um, up until February 2022, we were known as MediaTel News, but we rebranded to the Media Leader. And we rebranded for two reasons to give you a sense of who we are, because one, we're not really about news in the sense that we don't run breaking news all the time on our website. We are more about deeper dives where we feature opinion pieces by brilliant thinkers and senior bosses in media, as well as interview pieces, debates and analyses. We do all that. We want to add value, not just bringing more noise to your working life. And we also rebranded because, strictly speaking, we're not just a MediaTel business anymore. Uh, MediaTel is a UK company that's been around for more than three decades in the UK and built a reputation on being a quality and trusted media data provider to media agencies and media owners in the UK. But in 2021, MediaTel was bought by a company called Ad Wanted Group, which also owns SRDS in the US and Offer Media in France. So the media leader is not your normal publication, where it's owned by a big publisher which has many titles. There is just one main title and it spans the US and the UK and we're in the process of launching this brand in France as well. And as for me, I joined what was MediaTel News in the summer of 2021 after having written about media and advertising for many years on Campaign Magazine, where I also relaunched and hosted the Campaign Podcast. Um, I've been a journalist for over a decade and have previously worked at the Daily Telegraph and local newspapers. Um, if you listen to the trailer we put out to promote this podcast, you'll know I made some fun of how many podcasts there are and why would I possibly listen to another podcast about work stuff during my free time. However, I'm much more likely to listen to something about work if the episode is short, sharp, and is clearly going to add value by making me learn something or is going to entertain me or make me think differently. So what we're going to try to do with this podcast is to be frequent and to be valuable. Yes, we're going to feature debates about the big issues in media, whether it's about media companies and agencies struggling to hire people, what all this growing digitization of media means for the environment and sustainability, making the industry more diverse, what to do about misinformation and how how to improve trust in media, the future of the BBC and Channel 4, Netflix and Disney Plus doing ads, so many issues. But for now, our first episode, we're going to start with something very important. On October 17th, several news brands and media agencies threw their support behind a campaign to raise awareness of half a million people who are vulnerable in the UK because they must continue shielding from COVID-19. The hashtag Forgotten500k campaign, which was launched by media agency M6 and Partners and sister creative agency The And Partnership, is calling on the UK government to immediately roll out the antiviral drug Evershield on the NHS. 
This is because the normal COVID-19 vaccines don't work on the so-called immunocompromised. This drug, the campaigners argue, would enable an estimated 500,000 people and their families to stop shielding in isolation. I mentioned the campaign podcast, which I used to do, and it makes me, I, I remember one episode from almost exactly two years ago in which I interviewed Nicola Mendelssohn, Facebook's advertising boss in EMEA at the time, who had been shielding ever since the UK lockdowns began in March because she was immunocompromised due to having a form of cancer. Um, we spoke in October, and March to October is obviously six months, half a year. Imagine that, imagine shielding not leaving the house for six months. Of course, there was there was no COVID vaccine then for anyone. The whole point about Evershield is that the normal COVID vaccines don't work on the immunocompromised anyway. Why is this not a front page story? Why is it not all over our television screens that half a million families have been forgotten about like this? I think it's worth reflecting on that while appreciating how powerful the media can be and amplifying the forgotten 500,000 through a campaign like this. So today on the podcast, we'll hear from Dr. Tony Paliuka, who is Clinical Director for Hematological Medicine at King's College Hospital. Mark Oakley, a campaigner for the Forgotten 500K, who is immunocompromised, and you'll hear his story. But first, I began the interview by asking Jess Burley, who is Executive Chair of M6 and Partners, to explain how the campaign came about and her own personal reasons for taking action. This is a very important campaign because uh, it's to raise awareness about the 500,000 immunocompromised people in the UK um, that are uh, still at risk um, of either severe illness or even possibly death from COVID-19. And the reason that they're at risk is because of their weakened immune systems. Um, They don't respond so well to vaccines. Um, And actually, in the case of my own husband, who is part of this group, he's in fact had five vaccines. He has tested for antibodies and still doesn't actually show any antibodies. Um, And so like many of this group, um, they are continuing to shield, um, having to live um, very carefully uh, around um, their own friends and families and in many instances, Um, like Mark, who I'm sure we'll talk about it in a moment, um, haven't seen members of their family for sort of two and a half years. Um, And basically, as we approach the winter, uh, we expect uh, COVID to increase. And in fact, we can already see an increase in numbers. I'm sure Tony will talk about it in a moment. So it's very important that we get the government to reverse the decision that they made on the 12th of August which is not to uh, currently purchase Evershield, which is um, a drug that would seriously help these individuals to be protected um, against uh, the severe illness that COVID-19 would likely bring them if they contracted it. Very unfortunate to hear about um, your husband and many people in the media industry will know you, Jess, as having run M6, the media agency, M6 and Partners. Um, How has it affected you personally in your home life when obviously having to deal with this that situation where um your partner is having to shield it must be quite disruptive um how have you managed to adapt to that in your working life as well um i mean basically when it comes to seeing friends and family we ask our friends and family to take precautions before they visit us i.e to have periods of time where they are very careful about um not being in closed rooms with large groups of people we also ask them to test uh before they visit us 
Um, Mark and I um, are fortunate in that Mark is actually retired and therefore I am able to take precautions myself when I have meetings and go to the office, etc. Although uh, I have actually spent a huge amount of time during this period working on Zoom um, and have limited the number of occasions that um, I'm actually in sort of one-to-one -one contact with people myself. So uh, I have enormous empathy with the wider group. It has changed our lives um, and we're not as spontaneous or free to do the things that we loved as we were before. And um, Mark Oakley, um, talk about your experiences since the beginning of the pandemic up until now and what this drug ever shed would mean for you. Um, so I'm one of the immunocompromised. I've got a chronic illness called pulmonary sarcoidosis that affects my immune system. Um, and because it's an autoimmune um, disease, it basically means my body immune system is fighting itself. So I have to take additional drugs to basically put a hold on my immune system. So it, it puts me right in the firing line on, on various fronts um, with COVID. Um, similar to, to Jess's husband, Mark, I, in fact, I had my sixth vaccine the other day. Um, but when I've done the vaccine, the um, antibody tests, I've got miserably low uh, antibodies. So I will keep taking them all the time they're offered, but it's, it's fairly ineffective for me. Um, I've been shielding since, since the start of the pandemic back in March 2020. Um, at the time, I was running a landscaping company, which was quite successful. Um, it literally came to an end overnight as soon as I was shielding. I had to lay off the, the staff that were working for me, four people, and, and that was the end of our company. Um, from that point of view, it, it changed our lives because uh, my wife then had to take on the, the man being the, the main breadwinner. Um, and just from a personal point of view and a family point of view, it's just been so damn difficult. Um, at the beginning, it, it, it's fairly easy. Everybody was in, in, in the same boat. You know, everybody was at home making bread, doing Joe Wicks on the TV, home, home tutoring, et cetera. But as things started opening up, um, it became more and more difficult. Uh, when, when the children went back to school, I've, I've got a 17-year-old who's at college and a 12-year-old. Um, you then have to start making decisions as what do you allow them to do so that they can have some semblance of a normal life, but what do you do to protect yourselves? Um, and it's difficult, really difficult, when you've got a teenage daughter that wants to go to a concert um, and you've got to say no, or the alternative is you say to her, well, you go to a concert and I will isolate from you for 10 days um, because it then puts a massive burden of guilt onto the children that they want to go and do this, but then they're not going to see their father for 10 days. Um, during, the, during the two and a half years I've, I've spent shielding, um, it's, it's getting up close to 950 days now. I've spent about eight months living separate from my family in a, a summer house in the garden. Um, it's been at times when the children have gone back to school and the rates have been really high and our GPs advised us that the, the risk is so high that I need to live separate from the family. Um, when I've had vaccines and we were initially thinking that they were working and waiting for them to kick in. Um, and we've also had COVID in the house as well. Um, and it's, it's difficult, it's, and it's absolutely 
soul-destroying to see it. I've got a, a 31-year-old daughter who lives, who now lives on her own. She's got her own flat. I've not cuddled her for two and a half years. Um, the closest I get to her is, is, is in the garden. The last two Christmases we haven't spent together. Um, it, it's, it's difficult. And as the world has now gone back to normal, for most people, um, people have got a freedom of choice. You know, they can decide whether they want to go to pubs, restaurants, cafes, live a normal life, um, or, or whether they take things a little bit more carefully, uh, which some people are still doing. We don't have that freedom of choice. Um, when you have a chronic illness that, that you're living with day by day, your life is limited anyway, and you try and make the best of it. And this just puts you back that much further, where you're constantly looking over your shoulder because you don't want to get take the risk of getting it because you don't want the level of health that you've got, which has already been dropped down, to drop down to another level permanently. Mm. And, and that's the fear. Um, and also it's the fear of, of what happens if, if you do get it. Because for some of us, the, the antivirals and various other treatments that are available if you get COVID are difficult to get hold of. And also for certain patients like myself that are on immunosuppressants, the actual range of ones that are available it is actually reducing. So you've got less and less chances. Um, so it's, it's a gamble and it's playing Russian roulette. Um, I want to be there for my children as they grow up. I want to see them. I want to walk my daughters down the aisle. I want to be able to go on holiday with them and, and do all the normal things. I don't want to take the risk of not being there or them and my wife having even more of a limited life having to, to look after me or change their life around me. And it, it's yeah. so difficult. Um, thank you. I want to bring in Dr. Tony Paliuka now. Um, I think many people listening to what Mark just said will just struggle to understand why um, this drug that can apparently help him and so many others that are in the similar position, that the government had, hasn't made this available on the NHS already. Can you provide some insight into why that is? It's a great question, but uh, I wish I could, I could be in their head and understand exactly why they've made this decision. But let, let's wheel back. So we've come a long way, certainly for sure. We've got vaccination. And everyone said, that's we're sorted. We're going to vaccinate everyone. We're going to give boosters. And as you just heard, March had six uh, vaccinations so far. The problem is that uh, from first principles, as a, I'm a bone marrow transplanter, that's my day job, and we already know that most patients who've had immunosuppressive treatments will not respond to any vaccination. In bone marrow transplantation, we would normally revaccinate a patient uh, usually within six to 12 months afterwards, because there's no point in giving the vaccine because you require an intact immune system to respond. And so patients like Mark and many others in, with many other different disorders, kidney transplant patients, bone marrow transplantation, uh, lymphoma patients on certain monoclonal antibodies have little or no response. And actually, the government have invested quite a lot of money in doing studies, as have the charities, uh, uh, millions upon millions of pounds, to show exactly that, that there are a cohort of patients who actually have zero response to all these multiple vaccinations. And of course, the important thing as well is that we know risk is significantly higher. 
So uh, Professor Hitchley Cox at the University of Oxford published uh, uh, recently a study showing that uh, the risk of someone with uh, COVID and an immunosuppressed background adds 20 years to your age. So if you're a, a normal person aged 60, if you're an immunosuppressed patient aged 40, your risk suddenly becomes that of a 60-year-old. Now, that in itself is, is severe enough. And as Mark elegantly pointed out, many of the drugs that we currently have are not usable in patients who are immunosuppressed. Now, if we need evidence that we do need to do something now, not wait and wait, uh, we just have to look at the data published from the char charity Blood Cancer UK, showing that the immunocompromised population account for 1% of the population and account for 12% of the patients currently on intensive cares in this country. And COVID has not gone away. It absolutely has not gone away. We are seeing our numbers rise, and I work at King's at Denmark Hill, a very busy teaching hospital. And uh, we now currently have over a third of our inpatient ITU beds with COVID patients. Now, that can't be right. And, and for people like Mark and many others and, and Jess assessment, why do they have to shield when we actually have a treatment that was licensed by the MHRA? The main study was available to the COVID-19 um, uh, rapid uh, report group, uh, and they advised the chief medical officer back in December of 2021. We're not talking last month but actually nearly a year ago that this study was positive. They then decided to look at some additional publications coming out of a few centers, which confirmed in the real world that this drug works. Evyshell does work in protecting the immunocompromised population. The problem with the current pandemic is that the virus is moving very quickly. If we have data available, which we did back in December 2021, why, 10 months on, have we done in government parlance a U-turn on initially saying we're going to go with this and then suddenly changing tack and saying we're not going to go with it, we need more information. By the time anyone gets round to providing more information, another six months will have passed. NICE are nominally due to review this in April of 2023. That might as well be uh, sort of a hundred years in the future when it comes to the immunocompromised population who will shortly be uh, have been three years uh, shielding that is an embarrassment but just just to just to be clear so the 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 the, med the scientific the medical community is united is is adamant that this this, this drug is safe and should be made available for anyone who the coal-faced clinicians who are seeing patients day in and day out are indeed united in this. As I said, okay. 125 clinicians have written a letter to the government uh, supported by a multitude of national charities in this space, and we all agree that this product should be made available, as it has been done in 32 other countries globally. And Jess Burley from M6, you're advertising in national newspapers, The Times, Daily Mail, Evening Standard, Metro, Telegraph, The Sun, Guardian, The Eye, um, the, and Partnership, your sister agency, 
um, is providing the advertising creative pro bono. Um, you've secured um, the media, presumably that's using existing um, media buyers that you have and you're kind of taking the hit, as it were, that's your, your contribution. Uh, uh, actually, um, I should thank all of those partners because they've actually donated that space for this cause. Uh, they've denoted they the have, aspect. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So um, I should thank all of those partners very, very greatly and I'm highly indebted to them. And um, for how long will that last? I mean, this is just the start of a number of things that you want to do as part of this campaign. What's the next step after this, this ads blitz? In addition to the advertising, um, there are a number of programs that we're launching. So we have um, partnered with Tortoise Media, who are going to do a newsroom thinking, inviting um, people from the um, all party parliamentary group to join clinicians patients and uh, a number of those a number of those charities to um, a a raise awareness but b discuss the very questions that you're asking omar which is why hasn't this been approved what is the reason and why is it waiting until may 2023 to be brought forward that will actually take place um, on the 20th uh, of october Um, from that we expect to um, then share through our own social media channels both from the Evershell uh, Get Evershell UK um, site but also via all of the 16 charities that have actually specifically got involved in in this campaign so an organic outreach um, boosted with some paid social media and then um, on the 26th of October um, the patient group um, will be holding a vigil on Parliament Green. Um, Of course, the patients themselves won't be able to represent themselves there um, because they're shielding and and able to do that sort of thing. Um, So there are uh, a party of around 100 people that will um, represent them with facial placards um, that actually uh, will show those people who who are currently shielding on that day. And we're inviting actually MPs on that day. Um, It's time to be around uh, PMQ. Um, Come out to talk to the group. Um, This isn't a protest. This is a retest for this is this is a request for a conversation to actually move this forward. And um, and interestingly, there are a number of MPs that are invested in helping their constituents move this forward. Um, and actually, that's one of the main asks of the campaign is that once we create the visibility um, and reach, we are asking people to write to their MPs um, to urge them to relook at this decision so that they can help their local constituents get access to Evershield. And Mark Oakley, are you surprised to be in this position where we have this drug, as Dr. Paliuka has Um, talked about we've got this drug which the scientific community agrees is safe for you to use but for some reason the government just won't act to enable you to use it incredibly surprised and massively frustrated um i think everybody knows probably where they were when they they saw the first pictures on tv of, of when people were starting to get the vaccine jabs into their arms and everyone was in the same position then and and the hope that it gave people I can remember going to get my first vaccine and I walked out of the surgery and I literally collapsed in my wife's arms crying and, and she was as well. It was the first time I'd, I'd gone into another building since the start of the pandemic. Um, since then, it's been one step forward, two steps back. 
And it, for us that are in this position and the people we talk on to and deal with on our group, it just feels like someone's reached inside you and taken out all the hope from you. Um, it's, it's so difficult to, to kind of keep going. You, you're almost in a groundhog day. And just having to explain people that, to, that you're in this position and, and when you have to go to, to various places to, to, to go and get another jab or to go to GP surgery or things like that, and you have to explain to people time and time again and ask them to take precautions, you literally feel like a social pariah or a leper. Um, yeah, this, this would change so many people's lives. And it's not just my life, you know, just in my family, there's, there's four of us that would be affected directly as, as well as the rest of the, the, the wider family. And it's the same for so many other people. People can't work. People who are fit and able to, to go to work can't go at the moment. They have, they've had to put careers on hold or adapt things or just give up their jobs. People are living off their savings now. And it's, it's not like people with, when people were furloughed, there's never been support for people in this position. And we've got people now two and a half years down the line that are watching all their bills go up and they're paying over the odds anyway, because a lot of these people are having to get stuff delivered. So they're paying higher prices. People have to run medical machinery and things like this or at home all the day. So they, you know, going into winter, they've got all the heating on and they're in an intolerable position and they've got no support. And some people are just sitting there watching their savings dwindle, see no way out of this at the moment. Uh, and we have had people contact us who are, who are close to sort of tipping over the edge on the group. And it, it is really upsetting and disturbing to hear their stories. Um, I, I've, I've shed more than a few tears for, for other people's stories, let alone mine. Um, and the amount of tears we've had as a family during this period um, through hard times is I, I've lost count of. Um, so yeah, to, to have know that there is a drug out here and not be able to fathom why we are not being given it for all the, the, the tame idiotic excuses, to be frank, that, that we're given is, is just absolutely beyond me. Um, and that's why we're fighting so damn hard for this. Yeah. Um, Dr. Palik, I'll give you the final word on this. Um, anyone who's been listening to this conversation, anyone who sees um, the ads and the activity around this campaign launch very soon, what's your message to them? What should people do? Well, I, I hope the, the community itself is obviously acutely aware of what's going on and that doesn't need uh, additional desire to get things done. The problem is we've had hit a brick wall. You and I know if you've ever had an illness that's put you in bed for a, a week, you say, I'm going round the bend. Imagine not just one week, not just 52 weeks, but actually 140 weeks of that. This is an absolutely diabolical decision that needs to be changed. And we need the public to get behind this, to contact their members of parliament, to contact whoever they feel is appropriate in, in getting action to change this. We have had inaction from this government uh, for, and they are not representing the poor patients who are suffering at home. Uh, and it's now time to voice that view. Just finally, Jess, where can people get more information about this? 
So in the first instance, they should go to getevershield.uk um, and there is a full summary of all aspects of the campaign there. Um, you will also, though, hear from us, in addition to the press, we're doing a podcast, another podcast um, with Andy Coulson um, on crisis, what crisis, um, and that will be seen in social media. So social media, but in the first instance, go to getevershield.uk for the campaign details. Thanks again for listening to the Media Leader podcast. If you like what you hear, guess what? You can also read our stuff at the-media-leader.com. It's our website where you can sign up to our daily newsletter in the UK and weekly roundup of media in the US. You can also find us on YouTube where we are posting video interviews and clips from our live events and our LinkedIn page, which is often an interesting way to see what people in the industry are saying about our articles and the issues we write about. And, you know, there's Twitter, where all our stuff is pretty much pumped out like a beautiful fountain of media industry content. Anyway, get back to work. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.